Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with all of you, to be um, teaching and studying. Um, my favorite part of teaching is the work that I put into it, the really studying the word and um, hearing, um, just learning what it is that God wants me to say to you. Um, so today we are doing Romans 1, 18 to 32, and it is on the wrath of God. So, um, we're going to read that, and I am going to read it to you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their righteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameful acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's pretty tough, eh? Over the past two weeks, both Bev and Eva have been using the analogy of a plane. First, Bev gave us an overview of what the landscape of Romans is. We could see the beauty of this book from a vantage point. Hi. What's the matter? Sorry, it's just really hot. Really hot? Oh, hi. Um, We can see the beauty of the book from a vantage point high above where we can see the whole book and what we are in store for as we land. Then, last week, we landed with Eva. We got an introduction to the book, an intro into our writer, Paul, who he is, why he writes this book, and what he hopes to convey to his readers then and to us now. Paul briefly tells us his reason for writing Romans. He mentions the gospel that is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. He says the gospel also shows us the righteousness of God that is revealed from faith for faith. My analogy for Romans 1, 18 to 32 is going to take a different approach. I'm sure all of you know someone who has suffered with an illness 
or irregular symptoms that have gone undiagnosed for an extended period of time. Maybe it's even you. Summer 2016, my family was preparing to move. My dad had been diagnosed with pneumonia that summer and was having a hard time shaking it. He took a course of antibiotics and returned to the doctor for a follow-up. His lungs had cleared up and he still found that he was short of breath and super tired on any amount of exertion. We moved in August and my parents came to help us settle in and see the boys off to their first day of school in September. While here, my dad couldn't even play a game of catch with my boys without feeling short of breath and needing to lie down. Now, my dad is an old farm boy and would have been happy to self-diagnose himself as slowly getting over a bad bout of pneumonia. Early October, he finally went to have his shortness of breath and extreme fatigue investigated. His doctor ordered an angiogram to see if the issue was a heart issue. Sure enough, the doctor wouldn't let him go home that day. They found five major blockages in his heart. One they called the Widowmaker. If he had not received this diagnosis and immediately been hospitalized and had bypass surgery, it surely would have meant a death sentence for my dad. Knowing what the problem was, and even, that, even though that was terrifying for my family, it made us appreciate the treatment plan that the doctors had. The treatment plan saved my dad. I now have a new appreciation why Paul gives us the bad news before he gives us the good news. Paul gives us the diagnosis from which we need a treatment plan. That diagnosis is the wrath of God. Our ultimate outcome would be eternal death if God had not intervened in his mercy and made a beautiful treatment plan for us. We need to understand what the diagnosis is before we can appreciate the solution. We need to really understand God's wrath towards our sinfulness and unrighteousness before we can grasp the goodness of his love, salvation, and plan to save us from this wrath. This is where we'll sit today. Today we're having a meeting and we're getting our diagnosis. So just to clarify, I'm not suggesting that anyone that is sick or is suffering from God's wrath. I do believe that living in a fallen world, sinful world, means that we'll have hardships and illness and even death. And this is a, a direct result of our broken world, not necessarily God pouring out his wrath on any individual or family. We're going to explore this portion of scripture by splitting it into three parts. So the first part is God is angry with humankind's unrighteousness, and that is all in verse 18. The second part is humankind's rejection of God is inexcusable. That's covered in 19 and 20. And then the third part is God gives sinful mankind over to their own sin. This is explained in three different cycles, what they did and what God gave them up to. And we'll go through those three different cycles. So I'm just going to open in prayer quickly and then we'll get going. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be here together. I pray that your word would go forth, that it wouldn't be my words, that you would just use me as a vessel to speak exactly what you want these ladies to hear. I pray that you would bind any distraction, help us to really understand what we have been saved from. In your name we pray, amen. So our first section is God is angry with humankind's unrighteousness. Verse 17, if you look in your Bible, verse 17 and 18 are connected by the word for. 
Just as verse 17 says, for the righteousness of God is revealed, we see that verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed. This is important to notice. Just as we see God's righteousness revealed to us, we also see God's wrath revealed to us. This tells us something about God. His righteousness and holy can, holiness cannot be around unrighteousness and sinfulness. In fact, his character is such that he burns with an almighty anger and hatred toward all sinfulness and unrighteousness. So when we see holiness, when we see the holiness of God, we see his wrath for anything against his holiness and unrighteousness. And, and sorry, we see his wrath for anything against his holy and righteous character revealed as well. But if we look closer at 18, we will see that this one verse tells us so much about God's wrath. Firstly, it tells us that God's wrath is divine. It is from God. It is of God. This tells us that it is unlike any human anger that we have ever seen. It's not tainted by temper or unchecked emotions. It is not irrational, uncontrolled, or unpredictable. If we believe that God is holy, then we also believe and understand that his anger toward our unrighteousness is holy. His anger is the only response that a holy God can have toward evil. His holiness cannot tolerate unholiness. Secondly, verse 18 tells us that God's wrath is revealed. Since the fall of man, God's wrath has been evident for all mankind to see. It started with Adam and Eve. What God created for them to do perfectly while living in the garden was cursed and the work of both male and female became burdensome, burdensome and not without its hardships. Then there's the flood, where God poured his wrath out on the entire sinful world except for eight individuals and a pair of each beast, bird, and insect that he had created. What about the Israelites themselves? They, were, they also felt God's wrath. Forty years wandering in the desert was not just a miscalculation of directions. What about the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah or the drowning of Pharaoh's army? God's wrath and anger toward unholiness is not at all limited to these few Old Testament examples. Today in our society, we don't have to look far to see evidence of God's wrath as well. We have broken families, aborted babies, failing bodies, corrupt governments, starving children, and hurricane-ravished countries. The earth displays God's wrath against the sinfulness of humankind everywhere we turn. This paints a dismal picture for us, but remember to understand the love and righteousness and right standing we've been given through Jesus, we need to sit here for a while. Thirdly, verse 18 tells us that God's wrath is for everyone. It is universal. It is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Romans 3, 9 and Romans 3, 23, Paul further explains this by saying both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And verse 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is exempt from the wrath of God. No one can come even close to performing perfectly, living holy, or serving enough to win God's favor. We all deserve God's wrath. Let's imagine that there is one single person on earth that has lived what we would call the perfect life. They attend church regularly. They tithe on their earned paycheck rather than their take home. They give loads of time and energy to their local homeless shelters and community outreach centers. The list goes on and on. 
all that we think humanly is as holy and righteous living does not even come close to what God requires. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says we have all become like one who is unclean and our unrighteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are all ungodly and unrighteous. Lastly, out of this part, we'll touch on the reason for God's wrath. This portion encompasses both verse 18 and 19. The reasons for God's wrath, according to verse 18, is that we suppress the truth. What is this truth, and how do we know we have it? This is how verse 18 and 19 are connected. Verse 19 tells us what the truth is and where it comes from. So we've established that we're all sinners, that we are all unrighteous and live unholy lives. Because of this state of sinfulness that we live in, we are always naturally inclined to follow sin and to resist God. As John MacArthur states, he says, unrighteousness is so much a part of man's nature that every person has a built-in natural compelling desire to suppress and oppose God's truth. God has given every man, woman, and child truth about himself. We all have an internal knowledge of right and wrong, good and bad, holy and unholy. This is a God-given gift that shows us to God and the way we should live. It is our natural inclination to oppose what we know is righteous and to instead suppress and go against the truth we know. The truth is shown to us by the Holy Spirit, and we will examine this further in the coming weeks. Verse 19, Paul shows this explanation to be true. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. God has given us enough knowledge about himself that if we seek him with all our hearts, he promises that we will find him. We have no excuse. God has revealed himself to us, but we are naturally inclined to follow sin instead and resist God. This is the reason for God's wrath against humankind. So our second portion is humankind's rejection of God is inexcusable. Paul goes on to explain in these two verses, verses 19 and 20, that God has revealed himself to us and it should not be difficult for us to see if we are actually looking. Verse 19 shows us that God has revealed himself to us and verse 20 goes on to tell us that the two attributes of God have been perceived and recognized since the creation of the world. If you look at verse 20, what does it say these two attributes are? And how is it that Paul says they have been recognizable? What are the two attributes that it says in verse 20? Perfect. And how is it that Paul says that they are recognizable? Absolutely. The attributes that God has revealed are his eternal power and divine nature. And the verse goes on to say that these have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We need only to look up to the stars on a clear night to see that God is revealed in the skies. Or look in a microscope to see the details of a cell and how it all works together to see God's work there. What about seeing the change of the season or witnessing the birth of a new baby? God has revealed himself everywhere. We all have access to seeing God and how he has revealed himself to us. As Paul says at the end of 20, they, so they are without excuse. We cannot say that we, that if we have eyes to see, ears to hear, 
and a nose to smell and hands to touch that we do not understand or know God. He has made it so that everyone has access to knowing him and his eternal power and divine nature, even if we have not been taught who he is. This is the truth about himself that God has revealed in all that is created. We are without excuse. It is plain there for all to see. But if we look back at verse 18, it says, By their unrighteousness, they have suppressed the truth. Now, question three in our books on page 36 is a two-part question, and I want us to answer it together. The first part says, What have they done? So, the cave. Okay, where's my thing? Verse or question number three. Yeah, we should probably look at the right lesson. Okay, there we go. Um, How have they suppressed the truth? So what have they done? See verse 21, it says. What have they not done? They do not honor him as God. There's another part too. Or give him thanks. How can we see this happening today? So given that we that God has revealed himself in nature to us, how do we see in society that we are not honoring God or giving him thanks? We complain about the weather with anyone who will yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> just an ungratitude about things instead of just looking at, at neg- neg- looking at things negatively instead of looking at positively. Absolutely. Or what about like even so much as um, the controversy there is over um, whether the world was created by a big bang? Like all that is just craziness. If you like really look into it, um, really look into it. Even even the scientists that don't necessarily believe in God, lots of them say they don't necessarily believe in that way of creation either. So. Um, they don't have an answer to how the world was created, which is craziness. Um, So we know what they have not done, but what have they done instead? Verse 22 and 23. So because they did not honor God or give him thanks, what became of them? Sorry? They became fools. That's right. Absolutely, that's putting it plainly. They became fools. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22 and 23 explain the further decline of this futile thinking of foolish hearts. This is the beginning of a detailed response from God to their or our hardened hearts and futile thinking. So this is the third section that we have now. God gives sinful humankind over to their own sin. This is explained in three cycles. So this third section is a portion of scripture that we are going to study this per, this portion is called called God gives us over to our own sin. God has revealed himself to the world through nature and through his spirit. Therefore, we are without excuse when we choose to live contrary to his divine nature and eternal power. If we refuse to acknowledge the truth that God has given us and to and do not desire to serve and live believing in him alone, we run the risk of letting God have a letting us of God letting us have the desires of our heart 
whatever that may be, and it never turns out well. So starting in verse 23, Paul shows us what the people thought about themselves and what they really were. From verse 23 to the end of the chapter, we see a similar form of writing. This repeated, this is what they thought or did, so this is what God did. Strategy emphasizes our human thinking without God as central and what it brings to us. It shows our ungodliness and unholiness and how God in his righteousness and holiness deals with us. What we in our human effort do and what God does in response. So let's look at verse 23 and 24 for starters. What do we see? So let's just find it in our Bibles. So we see the first of a list of things that people did and then the phrase God gave them up. This is not the last time that we're going to see this phrase. It's important to note that this phrase is repeated three times in this portion of scripture. When we see the list of things that God gave them up to, we also see a list of unholy living that leads up to God's action. Look closer at the list before the phrase, God gave them up, and the list after. So let's make a list together for these. These, um, okay, so verse 23, it says, The people exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, there, there's that phrase, God gave them up to, what did God give them up to in verse 24? Yes. Mm-hmm. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Then verse 25, it says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, what did God give them up to? Mm-hmm. and unnatural relations. That might be noted in this day and age as well, right? God's given us up to that. Verse 28. What, um, what did they do? Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, then we see that phrase again. God gave them up to... Right, and then it's a whole list. Verse 29 to 31, it's a whole list of what God gave them up to. Does anybody else notice that when Paul is saying they, he could very well be saying you to us as well? If you notice before every list of things God gave them up to, there is a willful act to either exchange the truth about God for a lie or to not acknowledge him as God. These are the two things that drive God to give us over to his wrath. His wrath is seen as giving them over to the way they were thinking or acting by not acknowledging him. In verse 32, Paul shows us that even though these people had been taught what happens to those who practice such things, God's decrees, they deserve to die, it says in 32. So if you... Um, those who know God's righteous decrees, uh, though they know God's righteous decrees, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Mm -hmm. So there, um, in 32, we see um, 
we see ultimately what God's wrath should bring us is death. Um, It's telling us that even though those that were taught what happens when you go against God's decree thought they knew better and they did not take the punishment of death seriously. So they continued in their sin. Not only did they continue in their sin, they encouraged others to do the same. It says right there in verse 32 that the punishment for our unrighteousness is death. (coughs) When we read this, it should be noted that God was gracious in giving them over to their desires instead. He really could have just killed them all. Death is the ultimate display of God's wrath. The wrath of God has for us by giving us over to our sinful ways and unrighteousness is nothing in comparison to what we deserve and what they had coming to them. We all deserve death. Our holy, perfect, completely righteous God cannot live with sinful man. His character completely contradicts any ungodliness and therefore he cannot tolerate to be around us. This is his world, his universe, his creation. We are his children. And yet all of this is in complete contrast to him. So let's look at question number eight on page 38. It's a really good question to answer. Why does God give people over to depraved minds and actions? We deserve death. Why do you think God gives us another chance? He gives us difficulties and sicknesses or whatever so that we would call on the Lord. That's right. Um, She was just saying that God does this so that we would call on him. So he gives us over, rather than killing us, I believe he doesn't kill us because he loves us. He loves us so much he wants to have a relationship with us. But he gives us over to the desires of our hearts. There was a whole list of them. Because he wants to bring us back to him. It's his way of... um, Second chance? Second chance. It's definitely a second chance, but it brings him glory. If we can look at, if we can really understand what we deserve and what he's given us over to, um, and then what he's given us over to brings us back to him, he gets the glory and the honor, right? Anybody else have anything to say in that regards? Why do you think God gives us another chance? He loves us. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Merciful. Mm-hmm. He di- dying for us is the treatment plan, is the solution, right, to the problem. So many times we hear we need to be saved from our sin, but the reality is we need to be saved from God's wrath. Our sin puts us in a position where God's wrath should be poured out on us. So it's God's wrath that we need to be saved from. How many of you did question 10? It's also really, really good. Um, I found it really interesting when I did it. If you didn't, I'd encourage you to go back and do it. All the things that God handed them over to are the exact opposite of holy living that God requires of us. It's an exercise worth doing. If we spend time looking at what God gives us over to, we see what is required of us to live holy lives. It should make us feel inadequate, not try to strive to accomplish the list. 
It is impossible to live in this human body on this sinful, unholy earth and meet the requirements that God has for us to live in harmony with him. We can't do it. It's impossible. That means that we should be destined to a life of eternal separation from God. But as, this, as children of God, that is not our reality. He's made a treatment plan for us. We've been given our diagnosis. We are sinful, unrighteous, unholy, ignorant, stubborn people. We've chosen to live a lie and ignore God that reveals himself to us in the world around us. We worship creatures and things created rather than the almighty, all-knowing creator. We have hardened hearts and think, of things, think about things that are meaningless and not worthwhile. We dishonor God and refuse to acknowledge him for who he is and what he has done for us. We are thankless, heartless, hopeless, faithless, and ruthless. We are full of envy, gossip, and evil. We desire nothing less than eternity. We deserve nothing less than eternal separation from our true, holy, righteous, loving God. We deserve God's wrath because everything that Paul said they were, we are. I'm so thankful that this is just the end of chapter one. It doesn't end here. We still have 15 more chapters to go. And in them, we will hear about God's treatment plan and how he works out, works that out for our good and his glory. After hearing what we have in our diagnosis, the treatment plan will seem that much sweeter. So let's just pray together as we close. Father, thank you for this time we can spend together. It's been a heavy one. I pray that you would show us where we've exchanged your truth for lies, where we have debased thinking when we have replaced worshiping you and your holiness and have worshiped things created instead. Forgive us when we do not honor you or give you thanks as we should. Help us to always acknowledge you for who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you for your treatment plan that displays your love for us an unworthy people. In your name we pray. Amen.